0: Today I'll be reading from Luke chapter 8, 40 to 48, and I'll be reading from the ESV. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. When Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people what she had touched, why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Amen. Hey, everybody. Oh, man, it feels so good to be here.
1: As we've been saying all day today, I can't believe in two Sundays from today, we're going to be in a completely different space. And it is kind of overwhelming to think about it just because... Um, when I've gone to um, the construction site, there's still so much to get done. And I'm thinking, how on earth are we going to be meeting? What how are there going to be chairs here and tiling here and a wall here? All those things are going to be happening within the next two weeks. So please, please, you know, as Elder uh, Lee has encouraged all of us, you know, give, volunteer, and pray. This is not like... It would be nice if you could give and volunteer. Prayer. Like, please, like we really need the community to step up to be able to pull this off. It's not just going to happen. And so I, it's a huge encouragement to know that we're not doing this on our own. That this is going to be our church, our location, our sanctuary, our children's ministry, our office. It's going to be our home. And so I really encourage you. Please get involved. You don't want to just sit this one out and then when things are all resolved and ready, you just step in. I would love for you to actually be involved right now so that when you step in, you walk into with a sense of ownership. You walk into it thinking, this is, I I, I gave towards this. I volunteered towards this. I prayed towards this. And that would be such a rewarding feeling for us to start out a new season as a church. And so that is my encouragement for you guys today. Um, So starting this week, we are starting a sermon series called Conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus, where we'll be talking about a few different instances portraits, a few different snapshots of Jesus's ministry here on earth. We're going to be zooming in on a few exchanges that Jesus had with people here on earth. Now, this is something that I didn't actually think about uh, until like a couple of nights ago. But, you know, we are still ongoing with our membership class. And a couple of nights ago, I had our follow-up membership uh, conversation. During that time, I was, you know, on a Zoom chat with uh, Shelby and Christy and, uh, who was the last one? Uh, Brittany, Brittany Rivera. That's right. We were kind of sharing our story, and uh, I shared my story first. And I realized that there was a moment in my journey with the Lord where I could have taken a different turn and I would be in a completely different place today. I remember that, yes, I grew up, you know, in the church, but I was in church mostly for social reasons. I was there because I was born and raised in Chile, and there are very few Koreans in Chile, and so the one place where we could find Koreans, where we could you know, eat kimchi where we could, you know, speak and sing in Korean. It was church. And so that's the reason why we went. Maybe for many of you guys, if you were raised in an immigrant kind of experience, you experienced that as well. And so I went to church for mostly social reasons. I know that I was saved right around end of elementary school or so. And then Partly because of the language barrier, I wasn't really able to understand much of the Bible, much of the scripture that we read or the songs that we sang. There was always a cap in my understanding. And then when I was about to go off to college and I was going to go off to college from Chile to the States, there was this turning point for me, a, a, a moment of decision for me where I had to decide whether I'm going to keep doing this Christian thing where I had, you know, the opportunity to, like, actually take a step back and be like, do I actually believe this? Like, this book that I'm reading, like, I might as well believe in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, but, like, do I actually believe in this book? Do I actually believe in this God? Or is this just a thing that I do because my parents go to this church, or is this is a thing that I do just to be a good person, or to, you know, to spend my weekends, and I had this moment where I needed to decide whether this was going to be something that I truly was going to believe in, and I remember that I was very dramatic about this, obviously, I'm a very dramatic person, and there was this one day when I was just in my room, and I was kind of working myself up, and I was like, okay, okay, today is going to be the day I am going to tell God that I don't believe in him anymore. I was like, okay, this is my plan. I'm going to do it. This is the day. This is the moment. So I was like psyching myself up. Okay, on the count of three, on the count of three, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Okay. One, two. Okay, okay. One more time. One. And I kept kind of working myself up to it. And then I finally got myself to say it. One, two, three. I don't think you're real. And that's how I managed to get it out. And it was so interesting and so gracious how God dealt with my unbelief at that moment. Uh, Because as soon as I said those words, first of all, I realized how hard it was to get out those words out of my mouth. But then secondly, I felt God's response to that as well. And it wasn't like I set those words into a void. But as soon as I felt those wo- heard those words come out of my mouth, I felt God's presence around me. I felt as if God had almost like stepped into the room. I felt God's presence around me and I felt, I didn't hear his audible voice, uh, but I did feel a very strong impression in my heart. And it was Jesus as if he had walked into my room saying, this is why I had to come down. And I thought that that was so interesting. This is Jesus's response to my help my unbelief kind of prayer. It was Jesus reminding me that Susie, I know it's hard for you to relate with a concept. It's hard for you to, re- to relate with a philosophy. It's hard for you to actually relate to this idea of like this greater, you know, like force out there somewhere. You need to relate to a person. And this is why I had to come down as a person. This is why the word had to become flesh. And I remember that giving me such a freedom. Freedom. Because I finally understood that I don't, I don't have to work up my faith and really believe in this concept called God, but I could actually relate to God as a person. Just as easily as I could relate to Soyan. I can talk with her, I can see her, I can spend time with her in the same way. It's so much easier than having to relate and grow in relationship with the concept of Soyon. That would be very hard for me to to do, and especially to do in the long term. But I get to relate to people, and that comes a lot more naturally in the same way God wanted me to relate to him as a person. That makes faith so much easier, to be honest. Because you can only work your faith up to relate to a concept only for so long before you fall short. But when you begin to realize that God is a person, that God speaks to us, he walks with us, he relates to us, all of a sudden, God who was so inaccessible becomes very accessible. And so this is one of the reasons why I wanted us to zoom in on this series called conversations with Jesus, because through this, we're going to see just how real God is. Just how real and how tangible he is. How he related with the broken, with the hurting, with the demonized, with people needing healing. How real he was to people as he walked here on earth. And I pray that as we walk through this series together, we would walk away with a deeper understanding of who God is a God who walked with the humble, a God who rewarded the faithful. A God who made time for the outcast. A God who touched the unclean. And my prayer is that this knowledge of who God is and the kind of person that he is will in turn revolutionize the way that we interact with him. And so today's message is titled Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood. So in today's scripture, Luke 8, verses 40 to 48, we see a very daring and maybe even imprudent woman interacting with Jesus. Someone who would likely not be accepted in most social gatherings, let alone a close interaction with a religious figure someone who was so desperate for breakthrough that she snuck in and she grabbed it for herself. And instead of a God who rebukes her imprudence, instead of a nagging, scolding, how could he have done this, who do you think you are, kind of God, we see a candid, an unplanned interaction as Jesus meets her where she's at and gives her what she does not deserve. We see Jesus in this chapter ministering to the needy. And I often wonder if there wouldn't have been an easier way for Jesus to do this. I feel like if Jesus had wanted to, he could have, you know, lifted his hand, you know, towards Israel and be like, all the lepers in Israel be healed and they would be healed. All the, you know, all the deaf people in this city be healed and they would be healed. Jesus had that kind of power. And I wonder why in the world he didn't do that. I think it would have been a lot more uh, fast, like a lot easier and faster. And, It wouldn't have been so like tiring and exhaustive to talk to all these people and be worn out day after day and minister to people person after person and have to deal with every person's personal background and personal story and personal coping mechanisms and all these ways of interacting. It could have been so much easier. And yet God in his gracious mercy, he chose not to do that. He chose to take the time to see each person in their place of need. So what I'm saying is there are many shortcuts that he could have taken, and yet he chose not to. He actually seems to relish each personal interaction. Every moment that he got to hold hands with someone, every moment he got to share a meal with someone, every time he had a personal and intimate conversation with someone, he seemed to savor these moments. And this is the God that we worship, the God who sits with the broken, the God who tends to the sick, The God who speaks to the outcast. And made time for the unimportant. And so let's look at this woman with the issue of blood. We don't even get to know her name. That's just how wrapped in this identity of being a sick person she was. We don't even know her name. All we know is that she was a woman with an issue of blood. She is labeled according to her sickness. She is identified with her ailment. She has become Her sickness. And we won't oversimplify her journey that got her to the feet of Jesus. But it was nothing short of extraordinary. And it wasn't that she casually like sauntered into the streets one day. And she happens to see Jesus like, oh shoot, this is great. I'm going to try to get healing from him. It wasn't this casual thing that just seemed to happen out of nowhere. She actually had to fight to get herself there. It took faith and grit and tenacity for her to get there. And I'm just going to highlight three different ways in which she fought to find herself at the feet of Jesus where the miracle happened. The first thing that she fought was social expectations. She had to fight through social expectations. This woman, for all intents and purposes, was someone who, quote unquote, didn't belong there. She had no business being there and certainly no business touching the hem of Jesus' garment. She was, quote unquote, the wrong candidate for healing in every way. Because first of all, according to ceremonial laws, she was unclean because of her ailment. She was unclean, ceremonially unclean. Her medical condition would, in the eyes of everyone, slap a label on her as someone who is unclean, much like a leper would get that same label of unclean. She would not be allowed into temple courts. She would not be able to come into contact with people who would want to stay clean. Her condition would cripple every social interaction. It would cripple her ability to participate in spiritual gatherings and traditions. And the way it would affect the way that people would treat her. She'd likely have to announce her entrance everywhere she went by yelling out, unclean! Like, hey, everybody, I'm coming to the sanctuary, unclean, make sure you don't touch me, unclean, unclean. This is very likely how she would have to announce her entrance everywhere she went so that people would avoid touching her. And after a while, that's probably all she felt she was. After a while, probably all she thought about herself was unclean, unclean. It was like this curse that followed her wherever she went. Her entire identity was wrapped around this word, unclean. That was the first reason why she had no business being where she was. She had no business grabbing a hold of Jesus' garment. Second reason why she was the wrong person. She was a woman, a second-class citizen, who should not be demanding the services of a highly esteemed man of God. She should not be imposing herself on him, on his time, on his person, and on his ministry. She was a woman. And thirdly, she was mostly, most likely poor. As we see in the story here, she had spent all of her living on physicians for 12 years. 12 years of dishing out money to get treatments that wouldn't help. 12 years of spending the little that she had left to find herself once again at a dead end. So she was a woman, she was poor, and she was unclean. And last reason why she had to fight to get to that place was because Jesus was en route to Jairus' house. Jesus had important places to go. It was the synagogue leader's house. He had gotten an invitation from Jairus and Jesus was on his way already. He had important places to go. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue and had asked Jesus to heal his daughter. And the crowds are pressing in. And there was a buzz in the moment. There was excitement. There was urgency. This little girl whose life is at stake. And this interruption, this tangent, would be a quote-unquote distraction from the main event. Jesus was on his way to a resurrection. And this woman had the audacity to stop him in his tracks. She had the audacity to think that he had time for her. Who did this woman think she was by taking Jesus's time and attention? Now, here's a marvelous thing about the story. It wasn't even supposed to be the main story, but Jesus made it the main story. Now, how many times do we ask ourselves, God probably has better things to do. Like, why should I bother him with my little problems? Why would he care about little old me? I'm sure he has, you know, nations to save and, you know, all these things to solve. And he has bigger fish to fry. Why would he spend time on little old Susie? Like, why would he even spend a second thinking about me? Doesn't he have bigger things to deal with? Doesn't he have more important people to meet? Doesn't he have greater things to do? He probably has a very full plate already. He probably doesn't have time for someone of the likes of me. How often do we say that about ourselves? That not only reflects how we think about ourselves, but how we think about God. This is a God who is too important to care about the little guy is a God who's too busy to care about my little problems. And this is not scriptural at all. We see over and over again, all over the Bible, that this is a God who knows exactly what you're going through. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on my head right now. I don't know how many, I feel like I have a lot less than I did last year, but He knows exactly how many hairs are on top of my head right now. That's how intimately acquainted with my circumstances he is. And that is the kind of God that we worship and we serve. Maybe this is why this woman had the audacity to find herself at Jesus' feet. Yes, he has more important things to do, I'm sure. Yes, I am unclean. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I am poor. But he's going to make time for me. I have a shot here. Something in our heart made her fight through all the social inconveniences and all the social expectations in order to find herself at Jesus' feet. Now, second thing she fought was physical barriers. We don't think about this very often, but this wasn't a casual, like, oh, I'll touch the garment as, as he's passing by. This was a, an intentional and orchestrated and planned event Have you ever, like pre-pandemic, of course, have you ever been on line number nine, on a train, on line number nine during rush hour? Have you ever been there? I've been there only once and I was like, never again. (laughs) I'm going to take the long route. I don't care. Line number nine is like infamous for, you know, especially during rush hour. I am like very short. And when I found myself in line number nine during rush hour, I was literally swept off my feet. Like my feet weren't touching the ground because a wall of people was like moving me back and forth. And it's the kind of thing where like... There is no space already, but the doors open and more people shove in and you're like this. And if you don't get your hand out of your pocket early enough so you can look at your phone this way, you just will never, your hands will be pinned by your sides for the next 15 minutes. and You're going to be breathing into somebody's back. It's like that kind of situation, right? It's that kind of situation that I'm thinking about was where Jesus was. It wasn't this like, oh, okay, well, he's just passing by. It's like me seeing somebody across the train. During rush hour and being like, oh, I'm going to touch the hem of their garment. (laughs) It would be impossible. Even in line number nine, you have to think two stops before you have to get out. Like, I need to start edging my way towards the, the exit, right? And you need to know which door is going to open. All of that. It's that kind of planning that is required in this instance as well. This is what I imagine the scene looking like. Everyone is jostling and pushing. Everyone is elbowing their way closer to Jesus. Everyone is curious to see what is going to happen. And so when Jesus says, who touched me? It's as ridiculous as somebody in line number nine saying, who touched me? Everyone's touching you, bro. Like everyone, of course, someone's going to touch you. But this is the thing that Jesus wants to point out. Yes, everyone is pushing against me, but... There is one person that is touching me. I find that just so interesting. When he's referring to touch, it's not just physical touch. I think he's referring to something else. All these people are pressing up against him, but there's only one person in the midst of that crowd that has touched me. Now, let me ask you this question. What are you willing to fight through to find yourself where Jesus is? How are you willing to make space for an encounter with Jesus? What are the things that you need to push past to get you to the feet of Jesus? These are the questions that we must ask ourselves because there are times when Jesus comes crashing into our circumstances, but nine times out of ten, it's us that need to make space for him to move. It might not be physical barriers. But there are barriers nonetheless. Maybe you've experienced this in this last year and a half of the pandemic. In my mind, I was naive enough to think like, wow, all this time to myself, I'm totally going to go like 100%. I'm going to spend time with Jesus all the time. Did that happen? No. Even when I had all the time in the world, I didn't spend every waking moment with Jesus. And it was because there are so many other things that took Jesus' place. Maybe it's not being smushed into line number nine train, but maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's distraction. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's other excesses. None of them are evil in and of themselves, but in excess And if it's an escape or a self-medication or a distraction, it won't get you any closer to Jesus. So maybe you don't have to elbow your way through the crowds in order to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. But maybe you're going to have to push aside other things to make room for you to come before him. It is not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen where magically one day you wake up and all those obstructions are not there. Like, whoa, Netflix is not a, you know, an issue. Like, whoa, all these distractions and this busyness is no longer an issue. It doesn't happen casually. It happens very intentionally. And so my encouragement to you, as we see this example of this woman with the issue of blood, if she can push through a crowd that was pressing in like line number nine, then we can do the same. If, we can, if she can push past hundreds of people that were clamoring for his attention, then we can push aside a few things to make room for us to meet with Jesus. It is highly practical for us to think this way. Because sometimes we over-spiritualize things and we think, well, if God wanted to meet me, then it would happen. Like if he really wanted to talk to me, he would make it happen. Sometimes we over-spiritualize and theologize our way around. There's a part that we need to play To make room for us to meet with him. So she fought through physical barriers. And it's not going to be any different for us as well. It might not be physical. But there's going to be other barriers. That we need to push through. In order to find ourselves. In Jesus' presence. So first thing was. She fought social expectations. Second thing. She fought physical barriers. And third thing. This is probably the hardest of all. She fought cynicism and jadedness i would say this is probably the hardest battle of all now i've never fought for anything for 12 years i can tell you fought for things like maybe for three months four months five months maybe but 12 years i don't know that is quite a tall order Now, we all have our own coping mechanisms to deal with this tension of like, I'm asking God for this and I'm not seeing it come to pass. What does it look like for me to remain in faith? Do I need to be asking differently? Do I need to be asking harder? Do I need to be asking more frequently? Do I need to bring other people alongside me? Um, Am I doing something wrong? All this tension that you find in this place called faith, right? This space where between what you think God has promised you and what is real in your own life, there is a tension in that space. And dealing with cynicism and jadedness is probably the hardest battle of all. How many of us, after a major disappointment, a moment where you felt like God's going to come through and he didn't, for example. God's going to make this happen and it didn't happen. How many of us kind of like dust ourselves off, like, oh, well, oh, well, let's just continue moving on. I'm going to ask him for the next thing. It's very rare for us to feel that way, especially if it's something that we we very desperately care about. When we really put our hearts into it, it means that our hearts are going to get broken. It means that we're going to get disillusioned. It means that we're going to get disappointed, that we're going to have a lot of questions that remain unanswered. And I think that's okay, and that's natural. But I think the hardest battle of all in being in that place is to fight against cynicism and jadedness. The part in you that says, well, I'm not going to ask anymore. Well, what's the use? Well, all that time I did, you know, asking for prayer for that. Was, what, was, what good came out of that? Nothing came out of it. So I might as well not ask anymore. It is so easy to give in to that. It is so easy to let your life be dictated by that. Where you stop asking Where you stop fighting, where you stop showing up to the place of prayer, where you stop caring, where you stop trying, and you stop believing that God might want to answer. And so this lady who fought for 12 years to find healing, to find respite, to find wholeness, for 12 years, I can't even imagine. Maybe like by the second year I would have given up. But this lady, for 12 years, she was still in the fight. She was still thinking, maybe today's the day. Maybe today, along year 12, she was thinking, maybe today's the day for my healing. I don't know what kind of faith that takes. I know I don't have it. But I know, man, God honored that faith. The 12th year, she was still asking for healing. Now, here's a thing about faith. And maybe this will bring us Who don't have that, maybe like by the 12th year, I'm still going to be asking for the same thing. Here's the great thing about faith. It's not what you did for 12 years. It's what you choose to do today. It doesn't matter what you did for 12 years. Maybe today is your day number one of choosing faith. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done for the last 12 years. It doesn't matter what you've asked for or not asked for for the last 12 years. You have the choice today. You have the choice right now to choose faith. And that is a beautiful thing about faith. Life is funny and God moves in very mysterious ways. But my encouragement to you today is that, hey, maybe you don't have what it takes to fight this out for 12 years. Maybe all you need is 10 seconds of wild faith. Just 10 seconds. 10 seconds. What it takes for you to elbow your way to Jesus and grab the hem of his garment. That's all it takes. 10 seconds. Maybe you're 10 seconds away from breakthrough. You don't even know it. All it takes is those 10 seconds for you to grab the hem of his garment and he's going to answer. You just never know. All it took for her was those 10 seconds of wild faith, 10 seconds of standing at the sidelines and then deciding to push past the crowds, sneak behind Jesus and grab the hem of his garment. It was 10 seconds of faith. And so maybe you don't have 12 years of faith, but maybe all that it takes for today is 10 seconds. 10 seconds. So reach out for him once again today. Choose that today. Sign up for the fight today. And I know it's not easy. I know you get weary and beat down and let down and you get disappointed. I know you start to talk yourself out of it. You start backpedaling. You start trying to save face. I know you try to justify why today is not the day, but maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow. The reason for that is because living in that kind of faith is hard. It takes heart, it takes guts, it takes heartbreak, it takes resilience, and it takes trust that God is still good. But what is the alternative to that? To that life of fighting, of a life of signing up 10 seconds by 10 seconds by 10 seconds of faith. What's the alternative to that? To live a life resigned? To ask for less because you're afraid of disappointment? To live a life where you play it safe all the time and stop believing that God might have a breakthrough in store for you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live that kind of life. I don't want to reach the end of my life thinking, man, if only I'd asked. Man, maybe I didn't have to go without Maybe God had something in store for me, but I just never asked him. I don't want to live the kind of life where I can look all around me and I can see, oh, that was because of my effort and that was because of my strategy. That was because of my connections. And yet it all makes sense. I want to live a life where I look around my life and I'm like, there was no way I could have done that. That must have been God. There's no way I could have pulled that off. That must have been God. There's no way I could have changed that person's heart. That must have been God. I want my life to look like that. That's the kind of life that I want to live. And I know that it will take a lot of disappointment along the way. It will take a lot of heartbreak along the way. But that's a life I want to sign up for. I don't want to do with any less than the fullness of what God has in store for me. Now Jesus' gracious response to this desperate woman is so holistic in scope and is so profound in its meaning. Jesus literally says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is what he's saying. He calls her daughter. That means social validation. People say you don't belong here. People say you need to stay away. People say you're unclean. You're an outcast. You'll always be at the fringes. You'll always be an afterthought. I call you daughter. I see you. I know you. You are dear to me. You have touched my heart. You belong here. Daughter. He's giving her the social validation that she's been needing for 12 years. Second thing, your faith. Your faith—that That is a spiritual encouragement. There are hundreds of people pushing around me, but only one touched me. Only one accessed my goodness and my healing power and caught my attention. It was your faith. Even when you feel weak at times, even if you feel like it's insufficient and it's small and virtually invisible like a mustard seed, I was moved by your faith. You have faith. Sometimes it doesn't look like it, but this is faith. And I see it third is your faith has made you well. Jesus gave her the physical healing that she'd been needing for so long. Now, Jesus is Lord and Savior over our souls, over our minds, but also our bodies. We cannot set this aside. Jesus is Lord over our bodies as well. We cannot limit his jurisdiction. Jesus is Lord over this mortal body. Sometimes we act and we pray like God can do some things, like he can change our minds, he can purify our hearts, but when it comes to physical stuff regarding the body, we say to Jesus, well, this is beyond your pay grade. I know that this is the kind of stuff that you don't do. This is beyond your capacity. Maybe we don't say it out loud, but that's how we act. But Jesus in the scriptures over and over and over again, he proves to us that he is both able and willing, so ask. Now, this past week I was part of a um, a Zoom conversation where we were talking about supernatural healing through the Holy Spirit, and it was such an invigorating kind of conversation. And one of the people that was participating in that conversation was a Christian doctor. And this is, you know, this is what she shared with us. She said, man. I believe in science and I believe in the supernatural healing of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it all. I've seen, you know, tumors disappear after people got prayed for. I've seen God move in miraculous ways and recovery that shouldn't have happened that way. And all of it wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have prayed. This is somebody who's in the front lines, somebody who does read these charts and sees the prognosis and sees the x-rays and sees the MRIs. This is that kind of person. And she was testifying God moves miraculously today, not just back in the day, not someday in the future. But today he is moving in signs and wonders. He moves in healing. So what can you lose by asking? Ask. God is going to answer. It was Just so incredible to hear somebody who's in the front lines, who knows exactly what is happening and knows exactly the mechanisms that need to fall in place for this healing to happen this way. And she was praising God and saying, whether it's natural healing through medicine or supernatural healing through prayer, they're both healing. Just ask for it. They're both healing. They're both good. It comes from God's hand. So don't limit how God will choose to work. Both natural and supernatural, God is behind it. So don't don't stay away. Don't shy away from praying for physical healing. It was so refreshing to hear that. Because often we allow our experience or our lack of experience to shy away from those prayers. It is very hard to muster up your faith to pray for physical healing because in your mind you're calculating all the times that you feel like God hasn't shown up in that way or God hasn't healed in that way. And all that calculating, that energy calculating should just be used into prayer. What do you have to lose? Just pray. Just ask. Maybe one out of ten people will get that healing, but it's important for that one person. You have nothing to lose. Just pray and just ask. He said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And then he ends by saying, Go in peace. Go in peace. Jesus gives this woman who has been tormented for the last 12 years, he gives her the inner peace that she's been longing for. Like I said, we cannot oversimplify her journey. Maybe nine times out of 10, she would wake up in the morning wondering if she did anything wrong. If there was something that she wasn't seeing, this is a sin issue. Or maybe she should be doing something differently. Maybe her family had sinned in some way. Maybe she woke up most mornings wondering, you know, if she was doing the right thing or the right, doing it the right way or the right time with the right heart. She probably lived in constant inner torture. And when Jesus says to this woman, go in peace, he gives her that peace that transcends all understanding, that defies all logic, that puts all questions to rest, the peace that makes the soul free for first time, the peace that brings an end to self-condemnation, the peace that quiets the inner storm, that is the peace that Jesus gives this woman. And this is also the peace That Jesus gives to us. This is the kind of God that we worship. Sometimes. Between all the the different ways that I calculate my interactions with God. Sometimes I become paralyzed. And I don't do anything because I'm afraid of saying it the wrong way, saying it with the wrong heart, approaching him the wrong time. Am I right in my tone? Am I right in my intentions? Am I wording it right? And sometimes between all those calculations, I find myself paralyzed and not even able to reach out for God. But this account is just so freeing in that way. This is a woman who didn't belong there, who shouldn't have approached him, and yet she did. And his interaction with her gives me all the reassurance that I need. Man, if he could heal this woman, if he can make time for this woman, then he can make time for me. If he can listen to her desperate prayers, if he can touch the, this woman who was unclean, then he can definitely touch me. This is the kind of God that I worship, a God who's filled with compassion and kindness. His mercies are never-ending. He is not there to scold me and why I did it this way, why I asked it this way, why I prayed it this way. He's not a God who's trying to deduct points and give me all the reasons why I'm disqualified from my healing. He's saying, just ask, just come, whatever that looks like. Grab the hem of my garment and see if I will not move in your life. Now, there's no guarantee that I'll do that and get everything that I ask for. But there's a promise in the word of God that says that those who ask will receive. I want to learn to ask. And by the time my life is over, I want there to be like a Susie sized palm print on his garment. Like that's how many times I've grabbed for it. That's how many times I've reached out for him. I want there to be a Susie sized palm print on the hem of his garment. That's the kind of life that I want to live. And that's the kind of life that I envision for people in this community. I will long for this to be a community that reaches out for him, that pushes past social expectations, that pushes past all the reasons why we don't deserve to be in God's presence, all of that. We push past that. We become a community of faith that learns to reach for him, that learns to ask, that learns to cry out for his goodness, that learns to ask knowing that we will receive. That's the kind of community that I envision us having here in New Philadelphia Church. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and close us off with a time of worship. And as we do so, I'm going to ask these questions. I want to just ask you to close your eyes and come before the Lord. And I'm going to ask these very simple questions. What are some social expectations that you need to fight today to feel like you're accepted in God's presence? What are some social expectations? Some things that maybe are imposed by others around you. Some things that you maybe impose on yourself. All those reasons why you disqualify yourself. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be before God. I don't deserve... He has has other people to take care of. He has more important people to take care of. Why would he care about me? What are those social expectations that either others have imposed on you or you have imposed on yourself that you need to fight through today? is what are the barriers that you need to push past today? Those things that hinder you from reaching God. Those things that crowd out your vision. Those things that distract your heart and your mind. Those things that take up your time. What are those barriers that you need to fight through today? things that are not evil in and of themselves, but they are no help either. What are those barriers that God is pinpointing today and asking you to fight through them? Is there cynicism and jadedness that is keeping you from asking? Is there a fear of disappointment? Is there a fear of being let down? Has it become easier for you to not ask because what's the use anyway? in your heart that needs to be softened once again that you might begin to ask once again this is what it looks like to have childlike faith childlike faith faith like a child coming before their father They can't even imagine the father letting them down I cannot even imagine their father failing them even imagine their father abandoning them faith like a child come before you today and we ask God for fresh grace to have faith once again regardless of how we've lived this last week or the last year the last 12 years may today be that moment where we get to choose may today be that moment where we get to draw a line in the sand where we get to choose you once again where we get to put the things that are behind us behind us And begin to step into the place of faith once again. God, we know that this is not something that is easy. But we know that it is worthwhile. This is the kind of life that you've called us to live. This is the kind of life that you have envisioned for us. A people that are walking by faith and not sight. A people who are so trusting in the goodness of their father. A people who are so confident in his ability to deliver. In his ability to save. In his ability to heal. His ability to reconcile. His ability to do all these things. So confident in his ability That everything else, every other fear shrinks in the distance. Every other justification, it just melts away. We're so confident in who you are. So confident that you are who you say you are. A God who's gracious, who's patient, who's compassionate, who delights in showing us mercy each and every day. A God who chases us down with his goodness and with his grace father as we fix our eyes on you and as we are reminded once again of the deep compassion that you exhibited here on earth through your son jesus christ as we're reminded once again that you are the god who made time for the broken who made time for the weary who made time for those who are tortured for those who are oppressed for those who are outcast you're the god who made time for them May we find confidence to believe today that you have time for us. That you have time for me. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, that this is all unto your glory. This is all unto this beautiful testimony, this beautiful narrative that you are writing throughout our lives. That you are weaving our lives into a testimony of grace and the goodness of God. That as the world looks upon our lives, as the world looks upon this church, as the world looks upon your bride. That they would know that there is a God in heaven and He is good. He is real. He is living and breathing and working right now. He is a God who knows no limitations, a God who is not intimidated by excuses, a God who is not deterred even by our own resistance, but a God who's faithful and kind, a God who moves a God who heals, a God who brings breakthrough. We thank you, God, that this is what you are doing. I thank you, Father, that this is what you're doing here in this community, that step after step, testimony after testimony, you're building up a community that trusts in your goodness and in your grace. We thank you, Father, We love you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.